Okay, so I happen to be in the middle of a shitstorm right now. Just if there was one catastrophic event that could take you out in terms of every single basket in your life, financially, business or career-wise, family-wise, relationship-wise, basically that is the shit bomb that has fallen on my life, and it, it happened about three weeks ago, and I'm still, and for a while going forward, I'm still going to be digging myself out of it. The most amazing piece about this is that I have learned so much about myself from the moment of impact up until right now. And so, you know, with the trauma that's been happening with me now, I've been replaying a lot of my old trauma. It all comes up at the same time. And I don't know, it's almost, what are those storms that uh, New Yorkers love to talk about whenever they call? The Nor'eastern. Yeah, Nor'eastern. Nor'eastern, milk, bread, milk, bread. Right, the super Nor'easter or the cataclysmic death storms. It's like they're being anally probed by a storm. It's like, (laughs) just relax. Christ, it's a fucking storm. Right. And so that that is exactly Mm -hmm. what I'm in right now. But with with the past trauma and this current trauma, that's that cataclysmic storm that's been happening. And so there's a lot of moments that I'm replaying in my life. For you people that are listening who have been traumatized, you'll notice that Scenes will come up from your past or how you handled that situation in the past. You start referring to your past traumas a lot. And at the same time, you're dealing with your current trauma. And the one thing that I I learned through this is the very first thing that happened is the shock factor, the shock and the numbness. But for me, because of my past trauma, I'm more aware and my eyes are more open than I think a lot of you know, people that haven't experienced that much would be. I went recently to have a root canal, and I was nervous about it, but I thought, oh, I've got this together. I know what I'm doing. I know how to manage now a root canal. And so I sat in the root canal chair, and, and I said to the doctor who came in and was very um, efficient, I said, I'd like nitrous oxide. And they said, sure. So they gave me nitrous oxide, and I had my nitrous, and um, they're working on me. And as they're working on me, the nitrous wasn't having the effect I wanted it to, which was taking me to a beautiful land of lollipops and, you know, men in thongs. But instead, it was simply, you know, I'm in a fucking dentist chair in fucking midtown Manhattan paying 2000 fucking dollars for a fucking root canal, and I could feel it, right? But what I felt was this involuntary bodily fear coming. And I was like, breathe, 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 you know, don't get caught up in this. And so I did everything. I was breathing. I was doing everything because, you know, I've been fucking, you name it, I've done it with meditation and body and mind and thought and Lord, I could be in Madison Square Garden talking about the stuff at this point, which I will be. So the nitrous oxide, we're nearing the end. And I look up the young woman who's leaning over me and it, I swear to God, she looked like her name could have been Polly with ponytails and like braces. And I thought we were on the playground and she looked so sweet. And I thought for sure, well, I know if I ask her to just rub my hair, just to help me get through this, to rub my hair, that will be okay. So I, I said to her, I said, could you rub my hair? And she's like, what? I said, could you rub my hair? And she goes, I don't think that's appropriate. And so I started to cry. So they, they finished up, and the doctor looked stricken, like someone had hit him in the face, like the Wiley e. Coyote, you know, cartoons with a shovel. He just looked, didn't know what to do with me as physicians because, God 
you know, emotion, and I'm a walking emotion. So then they take the nitrous oxide off, and as they do, <laughs> I start to cry. And the doctor looks at me, and the doctor goes, okay, so let me know how it goes, and he leaves the room. Hi, I'm Michael C. Bryan. And I'm Jennifer Ho. We help people understand the purpose of their pain. We've been through a lot, and we've come out the other side. We talk about everything and anything. Especially what other people are afraid to talk about. Life is an invitation to do whatever the fuck you want. And it's definitely time to look at how we're playing the game. We held ourselves back for years. But now we're mostly past all of that shit. Mostly. Welcome, Welcome to, to Stripped. Stripped. And so I'm able to move with it differently. So the day that I found out that this event happened, I got a phone call. And that's really typically how they all start, right? Most of them. There was a phone call. And the phone call just sparked off a series of events that I, A, had no control over, and B, just left me swirling, not knowing, not being able to see straight, not being able to feel my skin, going into that absolute uh, just numbness. And at the same time, I'm a mother, and my son was going through the same trauma, if not worse. And so I told myself, I don't have the luxury of taking myself out of this situation. I need to be aware. And so my eyes were more wide open than ever. I said, okay, I'm experiencing numbness. And this was the interesting piece. I could understand exactly where I was at that time. I'm in numbness right now. I'm in shock. And seeing that I'm in numbness and I'm in shock, I can use that to my advantage. What are the advantages of numbness? You can't feel emotion, right? You don't have that connectedness to what's going on because your brain is just in a fog. Fantastic. Let's go back to those animal instincts that you do know. I know that I need to get to work. I know that I need to handle the business. I know that I need to be there for my son. And I, I know all of these things. So let's focus on that right now because I can use that phase of numbness to my advantage. And so that's what I went right into. I went right into action, right? Let's start reining everybody in. Let me spread my wings over everybody and everything and protect. That was really my piece was to protect. In that same phase, I also realized that being able to move through this was such a gift. There was this odd sense of gratitude, and it was something that I've never had before in my life in a traumatic event where something so cataclysmic has happened and I found some gratitude for my past trauma, for understanding and being able to see exactly where I am and be okay with that numbness and that crisis that I was in. And so I said, okay, what did I do in my past events? What did I do? So when I went into shock and numbness, when that event happened, who was I then? I overcame. I pulled my strength up. I did what I needed to do, and I moved through it. I can do the same thing here. And so as the days wore on, it was just this growing gratitude for all of the past trauma I had ever been in. It had really led me to push through the moment that I'm in now. 
And that doesn't mean that I got to run away from it. So the woman's sitting there, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm sorry. I just, you know, I, just, this is very, this is very emotional for me. And she's like, drink lots of water. We'll meet you out front. And she walks away. So I'm left sitting alone in the dentist chair, crying with the nitrous oxide. They didn't even turn it off in my hand going, and I'm like, this is like something out of SNL, but it's not funny. And I'm like, I feel like an idiot. So I got up, I left the room, I drank my water, and I went to the front, and I'm, I'm, I'm crying. I'm, I'm, I'm cry- I can't stop crying. I'm like, why am I crying so much? And then my sister calls me, and she says to me, and Joy, I'm going to say this on air, so I love you, so just forgive me in advance. She says, um, she's like, how's it going? And I, I said, I'm really upset. She goes, why are you upset? <laughs> I'm in the middle of the dentist's office. I'm like, why the fuck do you think I'm upset? I just had a fucking broken canal. Her mother abused me. I'm upset. Click. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm losing my shit. So I go to the front desk, and the woman's like, okay, so that'll be $2,000. And I'm like, we agreed to payments. And I'm sobbing, and she's like, um, are you upset? I said, no, this is just a normal day. I'm just being ridiculous, right? I can't get control. So I end up breathing, breathing, and they're all standing like five feet away from me at this point. And I walk out, and I go into the hallway, and I'm crying. I get in the elevator, and the door is open, and I'm crying, and everyone is in the elevator. They look at me, they're like, <sniffs> they open a path, and I go right in the middle, and they all keep, like, you know, a distance from me. They don't know what to do with me. And the thoughts start going in my head, and this is what I'm going to say. This is such a cold world. No one can be nice. Why is no one helping me? Why is everyone so mean? Why can't they be nicer to me? It just starts to come, you know? It's like a it's just an avalanche. And then I hear the other thoughts. Don't be a victim. Take control. Do all this. What's wrong with you? I walk down the street and I'm just feeling like I'm single. I don't have a man. Um, I'm not where I want to be. It just becomes this, it's just like an avalanche starts coming and I can't get control of it. I get on the train and I, and I know, I know what I'm radiating. I know I'm radiating this thing that freaks people out, right? And I sit on the train, and I'm not kidding you. People, like, they move away from me. So I'm like, oh, great. So I'm sitting here on the train all alone, you fucking New Yorkers in this fucking town, and no one gives a fuck about me. And I'm all alone, and no one cares. And I just, I'm in a horrible place, and I get off the train in in glorious, beautiful, luxurious Queens. And I walk down the street, and I'm just like, what is the point? And I, I go down this whole path where you talk about trauma, where I just felt and physical stuff and this stuff, I just felt this absolute isolation that no one understands me, no one cares, I'm all alone, that no matter what I do, it doesn't matter, and I go into a whole crazy place. What I did is I set up hours. As soon as my son went on the bus, I gave myself an hour to absolutely lose my shit. I mean, ugly, cry, snot running out of my nose, falling to the floor. My, my favorite place to sit when I'm contemplating or I'm sad or I'm in my feelings is actually my ergonomic rug in my kitchen. I will sit on the floor and I will just have at it. So as soon as he got off the, on, onto the bus for that next hour, I would lose it. And I'd say, okay, great. Let me pull up my big girl panties. Let's get through this day. We're going we're gonna to do this. And then at night, after I put him to sleep for that next hour, I would lose it again. And for me, that was my end goal. So during the day, if I felt like things were coming up, I would breathe through it and say, okay, at 10 o'clock, we really get to take a look at 
what I'm experiencing, be with myself about it, and allow myself to feel those things and be in it, really. And so, you know, the days have gone on. I've learned that there's a lot that you don't have control over. I love having control. <laughs> like, not not in a overbearing sort of way, but in a way where, you know, I have my ducks in a row. I do things extremely legal. I will stay within the lines, although I push them a little bit. But, you know, I, that's how I live my life. I make sure that, you know, my shake is prepared for the morning and that I've got my coffee ready to go and all these little things that we do just to make sure life is easier. Um, but in this case, this bomb just blew up my life. So I don't have control. And my anxiety, and I talk about my panic attacks and anxiety a lot on this show, the odd thing was is there was none. I had no anxiety through this. And I talked to my therapist and she says, because the threat is actually real. I was like, wow, okay. So it it was very interesting to actually, for the first time in a long time, not to feel any anxiety and at the same time be running for my life. So I get home and I take all my Advil and my Tylenol and what have you. And, uh, I go to sleep, but I'm in a horrible, horrible place. And I drank like a half a bottle of wine, which wasn't smart. And I was just like, you know, feeling terrible. And so I'm saying to myself, why am I reacting this way? Why is this such a huge pervasive thing for me? And then I thought about, my sister talks about PTSD, how the, the effects of my traumatic childhood, it's like the wanting to be cared for, wanting to be seen, the resilience that you talk about, you're able to latch onto. What happens instead for me is I end up falling down a well of not freezing, but ineffectualness, not victim thing, but what's the pointness. And and what I found was underneath there, and this is the thing that I've learned, is the other night, a client reached out to me from LA and he was feeling suicidal. And I said, well, you know what's going on, don't you? And he's like, yeah, my life's terrible. And I said, you're really fucking pissed. So I want you to go outside right now and I want you to scream. He's like, dude, I'm not going to fight. I said, go outside and scream. So he went out and he, he had the phone and he was like, Rah! and he just screamed. And I said, how'd you feel? He's like, wow, that sounds really good. And that's what I understood. There's this carefulness right now that I'm encountering in all these spiritual communities and all these psychological communities and the people that I work with that it's sort of like you always have to have it all together and you always have to be so balanced. You don't have to be so even keeled. And, and I'm not like that. I, I There's a rage underneath there at the – I'm just so pissed at some things in my life. There's a rage that when I let the rage out, when I don't try to be so fucking together and so, so, so easy and so simple and so – um oh, yeah, no, I understand. I'm grateful. I'm not fucking grateful. I'm not, you know? And I know I'm supposed to be, and I know that's the other side of it. But when I feel the rage, what happens, and when I feel that anger, that 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 indignation, that annoyance at people, at things, at disappointments, what comes out the other side is suddenly an acceptance that my way of being is not, is not some people's way of being. It's not this easy sort of balance sort of, you know, Eckhart Tolle sort of, I love that dude, as, as Ian knows, I, you know. But it's kind of like, dude, you're so fucking like, you know, chill. I'm not like that. So the resilience that I found is no longer mitigating that I'm that kind of person, that I go up and down. I have these, these oscillating emotional states. And when I talk with people who show one side of them, like, like on social and in life, that really is just not what the truth of their life is. And I 
say this is the truth of my life and I get out there, it can be too much, but I find that the release, the resilience that I found is not denying what I really feel, which is that people do disappoint me, that I have a number of projects right now that that certain people have come and gone with, and it does piss me off, and that's okay, that just because I'm supposed to be grateful and I'm not does not mean I'm doing anything wrong, and just because I'm supposed to be all accepting and allowing and I'm not, it, there's nothing wrong with that. Being honest. The one thing that I have been focused on is being honest with my son. He doesn't know exactly what happened, but he does understand the repercussions and what exactly it means overall. And if I'm being vague, it's because I need to be. But I will be talking about this later because this is very important. So, yes, so the honesty with my son has been really amazing. He asked me questions. I answer them. And then he said to me, you know, well, what happened in my answer to him is, do you really want to know if it's that bad? Do you want to know? And he said, no, but at what age can I find out? I said 16, 17, 18, and he's been okay with that. But that type of openness, and on top of that, for the first few days and even now, um, there were check-ins. Instead of me being overbearing as a mother and saying, okay, are you okay? Is everything okay? No, everything is not okay. Like, I'm clear, shit is not okay. He knows the shit is not okay. So how is it that I can communicate with him where he'll be with me and I'll be with him? The only way to do that is for me to open up with him. And then he says, okay, you know what? I'm not odd for having these feelings. So I would say to him, you know, mom's at sad right now. I'm at sad right now. Where are you at? And he say, I'm at angry. I'm like, great. Well, here, here's what I'm sad about. What are you angry about? And then that's how we would start the conversation. And then later, if I was walking around and he saw a tear roll down my cheek, he would say, mom, where are you at right now? And I would say, I'm still at sad. And he would say, I'm at numb. And so it was really a way for us to communicate with each other. And I never, as a parent... This is like the worst scenario you'd ever want to be in where your son is grieving so hard and has been traumatized because some parents don't know how to be in that. And that was another way that I was grateful for my trauma because what is it that I would have wanted? And that was one of them, honesty and being connected with me on how I'm actually feeling about it and letting me know that it's okay. I even sat down with him and I walked through kind of like the different phases that people go in and out of through trauma and grieving. And so that was very helpful. I said, everything that you're feeling right now is absolutely normal. One second you'll be sad, the next minute you'll laugh, and then you'll go back to angry, and sometimes you're numb, and sometimes you're all of those things at once, and, you know, it's, it's overwhelming. But I promise you, we'll walk through this together. We're in the same boat. And so he has just been amazing through all of this. So something about that has released me. So this morning I'm sitting here trying to figure this out and I'm like, I'm in something in my life right now I can't figure out. Like I'm persnickety, I'm kind of annoyed. You know, I've had little blips of like possibilities. There's a TV show that I've got called Out and About that I've been trying to get to Andy Cohen and, and I'm almost there. Someone's going to talk to him today, maybe. And, and just, you know, there's someone involved with it that kind of came and went, and I'm sort of, like, disappointed, but I'm not supposed to be according to spirituality. But fuck it, I am, okay? I am. I'm fucking disappointed in this person. But I love them. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not a robot. 
So then I was sitting this morning going, what is the point of all this? I'm in this weird place where I'm just not like jiving with this like, yeah, be chill, man, and just allow and be grateful and be happy. I'm not. So then I had this impulse and I thought, okay, let's do this. So I picked up this book by Oscar Wilde. And it was De Profundis. I think it's how, that's how it's pronounced. It's when he was in prison for being gay. So I, I thought, why the fuck? And my dad gave this to me. My dad used to say to me, he's like, yeah, I think Oscar Wilde and you got a lot in common. You're both, um, you know, you're both, I don't know, you kind of think, uh, you know, uh, differently than people. There's something about you and Oscar Wilde. I think this is going to benefit you down the road. So I picked the book he gave me and I opened it up. And what? And right when my eyes fell on this, I brought the book. But right when my eyes fell on this one paragraph where Oscar Wilde says, the horrible, horrible affliction is you reading this right now, trying to say that you can figure this out. And I'm going to tell you right now, it is a mystery. Stop trying to figure it out. That's the great affliction you're going through. So if you're reading this right now, I'm writing this to you from prison. There is no answer. That's the answer. So stop. And something about that this morning, I was like, well, okay. So it's okay that I don't know. And it's okay that, quite frankly, like this morning, I put on rock. I didn't know they had a rock station on iTunes, Apple, you know? I was like, and I was like, just it just felt so good to just bust shit up. And I thought, you know, and then last night, this person who went through the suicidal thoughts, and then I helped them scream and they felt better. It's this messy truth that I live and that I think is okay. And my resilience comes in being that messy truth. It's like I did a podcast the other day with this woman who's brilliant, Ellen Michelle, Ellen Army now, she's married. She, I met her four years ago at an acting seminar and she went up into the scene, right? And it was really nice and it was really good. And she was like really special. And we were like, that's nice. And <laughs> the instructor's like, yeah, that's kind of boring. Why are you trying to hold it all in? She's like, well, I have anxiety. They're like, let it out. So she let out her anxiety, did the scene. It was spectacular. And there was something in that. So yesterday we talked about that, how you just let that sort of, and I've got that jittery thing to me. I am not going to be the dude that can always be balanced. I'm going to fall apart after a root canal. I'm going to be really disappointed and pissed off that certain people cannot follow through on what they're going to say they're going to do. I'm going to cry. I'm going to rant. I'm going to rave. I'm going to sometimes smoke weed. I'm going to sometimes drink. I'm going to sometimes fall apart. I'm going to sometimes be ridiculous, outrageous. I'm going to sometimes be that guy. And I'm just not, I can't anymore. And the resilience that I found is I'm just not going to stop being that person anymore. I can't. And I have tried to fit into the paradigm. Recently, I've been involved in Eckhart Tolle's eight weeks of conscious manifestation course. And Tammy, whoever, who runs Sound True, she said, oh, yeah, so we're doing a live Q&A with Eckhart Tolle. And it wasn't a live Q&A. It was pre-recorded. And so I went on the call. I went on Facebook and I was like, fuck that shit. This is supposed to be live with this fucking dude. This is not, this is kind of shady. And everybody just went crazy because they were like, well, we can't talk like that in spiritual communities. I said, no, you can call things when they're incorrect. That's cool. Don't try to be so fucking safe. And it's the safety. It's the safe shit that I can't fucking stand. Hello, listeners. Jennifer and Michael here. We are so grateful to those of you who call in to share your stories with us. But for those of you who are maybe a little too shy, did you know you can email us too? That's strippedthepodcast at gmail.com. Share your stories. Share your thoughts and feelings. We'd love to hear from you. Also, you can tweet us at at strippedthepod and follow us on Instagram at strippedthepodcast. Thanks. Back to the show. 
So to hear how you've been grateful for the trauma, that, that's, that's just fucking unreal to me. I'm just sort of amazed at that as someone who's fortunate enough to be very close with you because I know a lot of things. I, I'm sort of shocked that that sort of resilience. So when we talk about resilience, really, you know, I was meditating one day listening to Eckerd, who really needs a shot of espresso. And that dude fucking, Jesus, come on, <laughs> fucking wake the fuck up, dude. I lo- I'm like a like you're totally like on fucking crack, right? <laughs> and um, I, I thought about what are we going to talk about? Because I've been going through this trying to find the resilience component. And you latch into it so uh, beautifully. But what I love is the not denying. I love that I love that you you lose your shit for an hour. That's what I fucking love, and that you would just you know you always make me think of because uh, it's one of my favorite films, uh, broadcast news because everybody's such a wreck. And Albert Brooks is like my personal hero. But Holly Hunter in that movie, she would hang up the phone or she would go through it like I I think it'd be like this high powered businesswoman, right? Then she would sit somewhere and just lose her shit for like ten minutes, then go back to her day. And it's like I'm I'm really. I really admire how you can allow for a moment of time to sort of like, blah, and then come back to it. I I, I tend to go, blah, at different moments throughout the day, so I'm not like that. But I, I really find that to be, um, for anybody who's listening here, the way in which Jen moves through life is at the speed of sound, and at the same time, she's very good at not denying, but also saying, and this is the great thing about being a parent, I don't have the luxury I have a beautiful being here, so I've got to find time to lose my shit and then go back to it. There's something beautiful about that. Well, there's also, you know, with with that crisis, right, you have a choice. And the trauma, and this is why I say I'm grateful for the trauma, because without that, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would have recognized the choice at jump. So as soon as I got that phone call, it became a, okay, do I get to hide away from this and... Yes, I'm in shock and numbness. But you don't, or, you, don't, you don't understand something. Your ability to take that understanding of how the trauma is affecting you and to leverage that, that's I'm going to talk because it's hysterical to me. What you're saying is exactly what I thought about on the train today. About I've had a traumatic react. The way you're able to conceptualize and use the trauma and understand the connective tissue but not let it overwhelm you but pimp it out, that's fucking brilliant. Yeah, leveraging it. You really fucking understand that, and that is a skill for people who have PTSD, because it is PTSD. It's a living, breathing, feels like organism, like an alien type thing within you, right? Mm -hmm. And you're very, I mean, I really admire that because I'm not like that, but I understand that. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's really awesome. I really mean that. Well, thank you. Yeah, leveraging is definitely, you, you were just about to say, but leveraging it. It's like it's understanding yourself enough. Like I trust myself to be able to handle the situation, also knowing that I don't have any control over it. But at the same time, leveraging what I got, great, I'm in numbness right now. This is how I'm going to move through numbness because numbness is a beautiful thing. Oh, numbness is fucking awesome. That's why I smoked weed for so many years. (laughs) Right. Yeah, you just check out. I mean, who doesn't love numbness, but you also can't stay there that long because numbness will have me out for the count for my son who's also experiencing what he's experiencing. So it was really... I tend to be a mama bear anyway to to not just my son, but anybody that I care about, anybody that I respect, the business. You're more that to yourself right now, though, which I think is what's amazing. 
I am. That's what I'm. So, so yes, 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 you're Mama Bear. But as as someone who experiences you, who's very close with you, you really are more about right now, Mama Bear, for yourself. And that's um, because if I'm taken out now, it's the same thing that they say on the airplane, right? You got to put the o- oxygen mask on yourself first before you yeah, put it on your yeah. child. No, you get but that's it. true. If I go down, there's a lot of things that go down at the moment. Yeah. And yeah. but also, it's not. It's about me, but it's not, which is interesting because it's about me in the way that I'm a conduit to hold space for other people and mm-hmm. myself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that I finally, finally got mm-hmm. in my life because that was never there. So that's new in this traumatic experience is understanding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, what fun. There goes right. the confetti. Exactly. Ian's throwing confetti in the air right now virtually. <laughs> <laughs> but to understand that piece, it, it's real. When people say, oh, you know, that whole, uh, I, I can't stand martyrdom, right? I don't, I, I it's... um. How do you define martyrdom? Martyrdom, <laughs> my mother. Um, <laughs> but really, it, it the is. Mother, the mother, let the mother, me the take mother. a look at how I can present myself extremely well so that I can pretend that I'm taking care of you, but I'm taking away from myself, right? Mm. So if you are taking away from yourself mm. um, in order to serve others, then you're taking yourself anyway, right? So mm. it's, it's that taker mentality. Martyrdom is really taking from something. When I hold on to my shit, mm-hmm. it creates anger because I resent the rage, fact. Rage, rage. Yeah, I resent the fact that I have subscribed to the idea that I need to have my shit together all of the time. Those moments of gratitude, they weren't all the way through. There was rage moments, like I told you, on my kitchen floor, ugly crying with snot going out of my nose. Like, it, there was shit going on. I just compartmentalized where I was going to do it. And that's what I that respect. That was the only difference. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. that gratitude, and let's get this straight, was not all the way through. Good. I had moments of that where yeah. I was like, oh, well, this is a really cool space to be in. But there's no judgment on whether or not I have the gratitude or I don't. It's, but, it's whatever the fuck you're going but through. But it, it's that thing that I love about you. It's that thing that the, the conduit for the gratitude is the rage. So it's like no one wants to talk about how, you know, that's that's the path, right? It's just you're supposed right. to be fucking grateful and fucking appreciative and which fucking Which just creates namaste, more rage. Which just – and then it shames And denial people, and, and they, shame. And then they go on social with these fucking bullshit smoke screens. And, I, you know, you know, you, you and I both, the stories I've heard about the lives behind what you see is just unreal. Just fucking messy and it's beautiful and it's messiness. But that thing – it's it, that's the ego, you know. It's like fuck. It's just I. I just can't do it anymore. I would have loved to have seen you at the dentist office. I. I wonder, oh, I was. I, I, I can caught, see the visual right now, but I love that. That uh, I know that you. Everybody was uncomfortable. Yes. Every, and then they said this. The woman said this behind the counter, and God bless her. She's like, "Well, I think I'm going to have a weekend of you know self care." And I was like, "You? What about me? Look at me. I'm sobbing in front of you. Can you be nice for a minute?" Look at me. It's not about fucking you right now. And she got all upset. And then I, I, I became my mother and I wanted to be mean, you know, because the course. You said that to her? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I was so, because I was so fucking angry that they left me there with the fucking nitrous oxide and then say to me, bye, drink water. Here's your Advil. Fuck you. Here's the fuck. I'm crying. And so what I feel is like, 
I'm a middle-aged guy, right? And I give this air sometimes of power because, you know, you turn in your 50s and you get gray hair, silver hair. People look at you differently. It's like, dude, fucking, am I supposed to be all together for you now? Am I that stoic male that you want? Well, fuck that shit. I'm not. I'm sobbing in front of you. So take your daddy shit, take your older man stuff, and just help me for a minute. But then, but then that's the turnaround in here. The victim thing thinks, why is no one here for me? And then that, the resilience is, it's up to me. Yeah, but Michael, they may not be able to be there for I you. I know they can. I and, know. And so, but that's a different. So I got to be there for me. That's, that's a the point. Yes, but and it's a different context as opposed to why are you just kind of abandoning me? Because that's what I'm hearing. Is that's you're what abandoning I felt. me. That's my trauma. In my lowest point right here, which yeah. again is repetitive of your past trauma. That's correct. Right? That's correct. And instead of having that kind of context, they are unable to. They are emotional paraplegics when it comes to that type of thing. These people can It freaks them out. It does. It freaks them out and they can't. I know. It's not that they don't want to. They just don't know how to, right? Right. There's usually one person whose eyes I'll catch who who will hold it for a second and I can see in them they're not afraid of that. Right. Now, of course, my posse are all those people, you know, right. because those are the people that I really fucking dig because they're the people that can go there. But the resilience came when I realized um, it's not disempowering to think that ultimately I have to be there for myself. And, and what I was going to say was that that's why I have people that I pay money to that are there for me, including a very small select group of friends. But even then, you just can't dump it on friends. you got to figure it out with other people, right? Well, you say that. So I, I don't, I I don't know that. if that's necessarily I, the I truth. Feel, but I feel that, though, and I feel like I do feel that. Sometimes I'm conflicted about that. Like sometimes I feel like I can't do that because people have disappointed me. And so it's kind of like if I reach out to them and ask them for help, they're sort of like, well, just deal, buckle up, don't be a victim, you'll get through it, good luck. And I'm like, no, I need more than that. So those aren't your people. So That's I, most I people. They don't know what to say to me. Don't you, I tend to compartmentalize my friends. I don't know if you do this too, but I know the party friends, I know the ones when I'm going through crisis who I can go to. I know, you know, the ones that um, like to have dinner parties and the ones that like to get high, right? So you know your group of friends. Do mm -hmm. you have an enclave of friends that you know that very, you can— Very, very, very small. Exactly. So are mine. I think everybody's. Like a handful. I think everybody's. I think Do you I think that's true? I think I have about two. I think right? that's about correct where I can really— text and say, yo, I just need you to tell me something I need to hear for a reason to keep going. Yep. Because that's what I felt like. I was like, give me a reason to keep living because this is not working. You're lucky to have two. You're lucky. You know, my son last Even night. Even in my life where I talk about the shit all the fucking time. That's amazing. Well, my son last night, he was counting his friends on his hand. He goes, mom, I have nine friends. Hmm. I said, oh, man. You are so lucky. You've got nine <laughs> friends. It's amazing. Yeah, but my brother has more, you know, of course, the comparison. I said, so how many would you say are your best friends that you can tell everything to? And he says, um, I don't have a lot of those. Maybe three. I said, wow, you are really lucky to have three people like that. So you think that's, that is that is the standard? Yes, absolutely. That is the standard. And those people, how close to your chest do you hold them? I well, know. I, one I've known minor. 22 years, and I can literally text her at, you know, four in the morning. And if I'm, and I've been suicidal and had difficult times, she will say exactly, okay, here's the deal. And she'll just go zing. Mm -hmm. She just knows that because she studied Sufism too. So she understands. She can speak from that place I need to hear, right? That's funny. So, so it is like three, like two or three in life, huh? 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, why know. do we need more? I don't like repeating myself. And in the last three weeks, I've repeated this story of everything that's going on over and over to the point where I just wanted to record it on my phone and press play. Right? This is what happened. Here you go. And this is how I'm feeling about it. And yes, thank you very much for your love and thoughts and prayers. Yeah, right? that's how I feel about the mother stuff. I'm like, yeah, okay, my mother abused me. I was raped when I was 11. I was a child sex worker. So how are you? You got a coffee? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, do I have to say this story again? Right. Yeah, and yeah. so I think <laughs> in some kind of crazy way, the universe has it where we have two people, so we don't have to keep repeating ourselves, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and so if you want to you want to think about it that way, that's very it's really funny. helpful. But yes, I think, you know, having one is normal. Yeah, okay. Having two is a bonus. Okay, okay. Cool. A lot of people don't have any yeah right they yeah. they or they don't allow themselves right mm-hmm. they're attracting that but. and my shrink gets very offended when I say this he, he he's like what about me and I'm like oh my god really seriously just stop I don't can't I can't take care of you right now because my shrink looks at me as an equal because I do so much of this and I'm like we're not I'm not a fucking shrink okay he's like well you kind of are and I'm like don't process with me <laughs> it's about me now <laughs> this is my 45 minutes this is my 45 minutes motherfucker <laughs> come but, on bitch yeah I mean I, I think that I love how you were saying this is how I am I'm a mess uh, I'm, I really I'm, am. okay yeah. you know what that's such a beautiful thing well I, a lot I, of people are walking around stuffing everything in and unable most. to say yeah because I hear them I hear the stories I hear the truth behind the veneer and it it doesn't surprise me anymore but what surprises me is how curated that other face is how close is martyrdom in your definition to narcissism? You know, I never thought about that. Yeah, I'm trying to think about that because I'm thinking about it. I never hear martyrdom much. I don't hear the word, you know, you're a martyr. You don't hear that much in coffee shops, but you hear narcissist a lot. So how is narcissism and martyrdom related? I'm curious. I just think, you know, I think narcissism is the new meme of today's psychological, you know, speak. Basically, I think people are using narcissism in a lot of ways where it's martyrdom, but I do believe there's some crossover as well. There is, isn't right? there? There's something there. There is, there is, yeah. but narcissism, people are using that to encompass a lot of different things. Narcissism is a real, we've seen it. Well, people, we I don't think people it, really understand legitimate narcissism. I think there's shades of it, you know, but legitimate narcissism is a is a sword it cuts it's mm-hmm. it's it it it's it's nasty motherfucker i i, I, I cuz that was our mother's so my mother was a narcissist but ba, 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 ba. see i would say that my mother's martyrdom is underneath her mar- narcissism right so i would say it's narcissism say as a again. whole say that again so i would say her martyrdom mm-hmm. rests Underneath her narcissism, right? Martyrdom is a branch of sure. the tree. Actually, actually, that makes sense. Of narcissism, because it feels martyrdom feels like you know, narcissism is more me, 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 and it's um so uh, un- you can't puncture uh, narcissism. Narcissists really think the world has to change to to accommodate them. They're really completely fucking mm-hmm. clueless. And I think they're snipers also as well, right? So they will do things just on the slight. Snipers. Right? I call them snipers. Ooh, ooh, right. Because you ooh. they will they will dig, but nobody else will really know that they're digging because it looks really oh, nice on the outside. Narcissism is very smart. Extremely narcissists so, are usually pretty intelligent people. Yep. Yeah, so when they when and so that's what I mean by sniper. Whenever you snipe somebody, you're going mm. for their heart or their head, and mm. that's it. You're not looking to blow up their body, right? So it's oh so small. 
but boy, do you feel that pinprick, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so, that's, that's usually narcissists are good at. They know the they know the sore point. They know when to take the kosher salt and what wound to pour it into. They're yeah. good at it. Martyrs aren't necessarily looking to hurt anybody else. They're just looking to elevate them themselves in terms of looking good because they're hurting themselves. Right, that's exactly right. So that and that goes back to they're taking from them themselves, and that's really it. So. I mean, going back to what I was saying, I'm not looking to be a martyr. I just understand that I need to come first in order to feed all the other branches. Mm-hmm. And so in my driver has been those other branches, the business, the employees, my son, my friends, my family, my community, because my community knows. And so it's really how how is it that I can protect everybody and also start to clean up what was done? Even if it wasn't done by me, it's still, I, I feel that service need to the community for that. There's been some cleanup there. It's, it's your burden. It's, it's not so much, I wouldn't say it's my burden. It's because that's who I am as a person. So I'm not going to say it's my burden, right? I don't have to do any of that. I don't have to do anything, period. I could just sit on my ass and suck my thumb all day, literally, I do that because I, as a person, you know, I I don't want to leave relationships messy. It drives me crazy when relationships are messy. And so for that, I'm like, hey, this is, you know, this is what happened. This is the fallout. I'm sorry that you're experiencing what you're experiencing. And they're like, why are you saying I'm sorry? That was the other piece is I realized that I've been sorry for somebody else's doing. And my son said to me the other day, oh, my God, I'm going to start crying. I said, honey, I am so sorry that you're going through this. And he said, mom, stop apologizing. You didn't do it. And I realized my guilt and and shame is coming up around this, even though it had nothing to do with me. It was just um, the phrase, you know, you, you, uh, you are the company that you keep, Right comes up in my head around this. And it's been that that guilt piece has been very hard for me, has been very, very hard for me because it's been, what could I have done? What what did I not see? What did I not do? Um, How could I, I have prevented this? Going back to I like to have control, right? I like to think that there was in some way I would have had control over this. But the choices we make at certain points in our lives are only based upon the most that we know and the awareness that we have and the perspective that we can adopt. So we choose certain um, situations, certain relationships, because it's, it's, um, it's all we know at the time of how to choose. You know, we don't, we don't become conscious and choose people and, or situations or, or whatever and think, you know, <laughs> my accountant one time, he said, you know, Brian once said, um, who adds value in your life? You have to think about that. And I'd never thought about that, but I didn't know that perspective before until recently. But, you know, so that 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 um, guilt, you know, <laughs> it's not how I experience you at all. And so it's just such a useless emotion, but I understand it. Yeah, it's definitely, I understand the uselessness of it. Mm-hmm. And it's also... Here's, here's how I've been looking at it. It's like a clearinghouse, right? You have this clutter in this space and then you just start clearing it out and in the corner of this clutter I have guilt Mm. and so it's great that I'm going there in order to get 
rid of that. I don't typically experience guilt or shame. That's not, I don't put myself in positions to have that happen. Um, so this is uh, where I'm really great with the trauma piece, the guilt and the shame piece. I'm not so good at because I haven't <laughs> really had that um, deep of a, of a connection to it. But, yeah, it's been a, uh, a very interesting road of experiencing things I haven't experienced and also leveraging my past trauma to, to get through this here. Mm. And I'm still in it. I'll be in this until, you know, this is done and for the rest of my life. And that's one thing that I had to say to my son is he says, Mom, when will I stop feeling this way? And I said, Honey, this is going to stay with you for the rest of your life. But the way that you're going to start integrating this into your life, over time, it's going to quell a little bit more and more. And you'll notice that the times in between you being sad are going to get longer and longer. And soon you'll be able to just integrate this grief and this trauma into your life. And you never know, at some point in your life, you may actually get grateful for it. And he looked at me, he's like, no. <laughs> you know, no, but that's, that's, I get it. That's where he's at. Um, <laughs> and also, you know, I, we've been talking about, he said, you know, I just want to go back to normal. This is what he had been saying for days. I just want to go back to normal. And I had to give him the harsh reality. This is the new normal. This is the new normal. And I think once, one thing I found is once I settled into the fact that this is the new normal, instead of fighting against it, and really embracing it as what it is, is when I could start to move through it. And so that, that, was, that was a miracle discovery. Again, I, again, I'm, the fact that you can talk about all these steps and do all these steps and live them, I definitely am not that clear about that. I'm just like fucking Jesus Christ. It's like, right? <laughs> Ian and I are like, each other. it's just brilliant. I mean, it's brilliant. I, I, when I relegate my thing, it's, I'm not there. I did a show with Risk recently, and this woman came up to me after I talked about being a child sex worker, and she came up to me, and what she looked at me, and she told me about her life story the same way. And there was this moment, which which makes sense in my life. We hugged, and I know, I know how it sounds, but I felt this current of something between us. I felt a current, and she just she kept hanging on to me. <laughs> and, and I thought that was really nice. That kinship is is like... It's rare. Yeah, and that's resilience to me. Someone who's, she had the shit kicked out of her, or her, her dad broke her nose when she went to prom with a guy she didn't like. I mean, how can I not love someone like that, right? And I thought, fucking A, you're tough. But had you not opened up that door, that conversation wouldn't have happened. Yeah, I know. And so that's beautiful. really what we're talking about today I know, is, I know. is really hunkering down, understanding that no matter if you're crying at a dentist office or you're screaming outside of your your apartment, <laughs> whatever Which it happened is. To me a couple nights ago. Like that that is real shit. That's mm -hmm. real people. And understanding that that's actually okay. And what that allows is space for other people to come in and that's be the, the same way. And that's, that's the hope. So you are spreading it just by being in a space and talking and being open about different things. That's what's beautiful. I, I that's the hope. And I, I that's always been that's always been my understanding now that I guess that's the purpose, though, that I'm doing right now. I, I think. I don't know. Well, it's effortless for you. It's effortless for you. I have no choice because I tried the other way, and it was it was not 
it was not working. Okay, so I'm going to say that's bullshit, and you did have a choice, and you chose differently, right? Because it's it's all about choice. You could have chosen the other way, and it wasn't working for you, and you still I tried, could choose it. I, 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 I'm, tr- and I'm now in this place right now where I, 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 I don't see a larger, whatever, this is a whole different discussion, but the manifestation of it with, like, the TV show and the podcast and all these things that we do, it's all there, but it's like I wonder what the resonance of it is sometimes. I do wonder because I do get a lot of looks, and I do get a lot of people that, it's just the illusion is so complete still in society, and I just don't think it's what people want. I think we're ready for the next phase, the next movement of it. And I'm trying to find the next movement of this work is. It's not what it has been. It's something else. You know what I mean? I do, and and, and I'm going to just wrap it up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and this is yeah. really for, for everybody who's in the space of, you know, you've created all these things, and, and you're not seeing the fruits of your labor necessarily, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even though they are there if you really take a blah, look blah, at blah, them, blah, blah. Yeah, right? I know, I know, this, I know this, you're this smiling. Is, this is Jen, one of my best right. friends, talking to me right now because right. she knows so, I've created numerous yes. things over the past four years. If you knew that it was coming in five years. Oh, God, I hate this discussion so much. Mm-hmm. Would you feel better about what you're doing now? Is it just because you need to know that it's coming, or can you just settle in the fact that it is? Okay, I'm going to wrap this up, but I'm going to I'm going to add something here for anybody who's listening. To what Jenna's saying, the core of all, and I've been studying psychology, spiritual work most of my life to make sense of my bizarre life. The core conceit of everything is saying I am, and I now know this to be the truth, even though I don't always feel it. If you say I am this thing, and then you know that the thing that you ask for has been given to you, and you can live in that space emotionally, you're set. I wrestle with that, and that's the answer to everything. So the core of all great spiritual teachings coming out of that one thing, you can talk to any rabbi, you can talk to any priest, you can talk to any fucking person who understands this shit deeply. That's what you're saying is correct. You have been able to latch onto that. I still vacillate with that and I don't know if it's the PTSD from my past but gosh knows I have been obsessively trying to understand this perspective and everybody I work with are trying to do the same thing but that I amness I am that thing I'm trying to become I've already got the thing I've asked for it that's a gap that's difficult sometimes when the physical reality doesn't really show that Hey, so we know there was a lot of information in this last episode. So if you'd like to reach out to us, we're at stripthepodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to leave us a voicemail about what's going on in your life, 201-685-0828. Stripped is co-hosted by Jennifer Ho and Michael C. Bryan. It is co-created by Michael C. Bryan, Jennifer Ho, and Ian Hamilton. It is produced by Ian Hamilton and Mariana Trevino. It is recorded and edited by Rich Cerbini at Hangar Studios in New York City. 